Welcome back to Design Details. This is episode 55. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Brendan Jackson. This episode, we talked to Wilson Miner and Ryan Sims, two of our most popular guests we've ever had. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, hit us up on Twitter. We're at Design Details FM. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Or if you want to chat about it with us live, we have a Slack team. So you can DM Spec FM on Twitter, send us your email address, and we will send you an invite to our Slack team. There are almost 300 people in there now. 291. 291 people chatting about design, development. We have a critique thread. We talk about tools. We talk about the shows on the Spec Network, Pokemon. It's been a lot of fun. We hope you'll join us. So just DM your email address to Spec FM on Twitter. Before we get into the episode, I want to thank our awesome, awesome sponsors. First up, once again, as always, Dropbox. What it does it syncs all your files across all your devices super fast too every time i upload an episode every time i save an episode it's at home before i am and i'm not that far away and i'm riding a motorcycle that's pretty good it syncs all your files to all your devices to everyone else's devices that you share them with because you can share files sync them in real time send them really fast just by sending a link you don't actually have to download the file to see it we use it at spec fm for all of our shows it's a really great product if you don't know what it is if you haven't used it before go check it out dropbox.com if you have used it before good keep using it thanks once again to dropbox our second sponsor hired.com if you want a job and you are a software engineer or designer go to hired.com slash design details let me tell you more so you apply to hired and once you're in they send jobs to you they will send you a job offer with salary and equity from over 2,500 pre-screened companies. Can I review their portfolios? Yeah, you can actually. Perfect. From startups to large public companies, Hired works with everyone. You can view, accept, and reject these offers before you even have to talk to a company. They give you the salary and equity up front. Can I turn them down without telling them why? Yes, you can actually. Perfect. They work with companies in 12 major tech hubs, including San Francisco, Los Angeles, Seattle, New York City, Boston, Chicago, Boston, Atlanta, San Diego, London, Toronto, and Washington, D.C. It is free. There are no obligations. And if you get a job through Hired, they will give you $2,000. So it's not free. It's it's like negative cost. So if you get a job through Hired, they're going to give you $2,000. I want more than $2,000. How do I do that? Go to Hired.com slash design details. Get a job get $4,000. It's an awesome service. Really makes the job hunting, job acquiring process so much better. We appreciate Hired sponsoring this episode. Thanks so much to Hired. Let's get into episode 55. This is Wilson Miner and Ryan Sims. I'm Wilson Miner. I am uh, currently the director of digital design at uh, the California Sunday Magazine. Um, And I used to work at RDO with Ryan and uh, Facebook and Apple and a bunch of places before that. And yeah. (laughs) I'm Ryan Sims and I'm probably most famously known as Wilson's protege. Uh, Worked with Wilson at RDO for a long time. And now I work at Adobe working on fun, creative content uh, solution strategies for the modern creative professional and hobbyist. Holy shit. Is you've that gone the- to the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> you wanted it. You Ryan wanted it. Business phrasing. That's, sims. that's my, uh, that's my, that's on my business card. So I'll give that to you later. <laughs> sounds like you just gave a pitch. 
Okay, so we had you both on in Wilson in January, Ryan in February. Yeah. That's how it worked. Well, he was episode 12 and he was episode three. And at the time you were both transitioning jobs. How's everything been going? Like with the transition and and the new stuff? It's great. Um, uh, When, yeah, when I, when we recorded that episode, I think it was like, I had found out that I was day factory shut down day. Um, or like a couple of days before, I didn't even have time to send you guys a heads up and be like, "Hey, when we talk about stuff, I'm gonna not have a job." Um, so yeah, that was that was an interesting time, um, and I like that was an unexpected because that was an unexpected event. Like I realized that I had never had a chance to sort of take time between like long term job commitments and sort of always had sort of chain smoked one job you know lighting one cigarette while you're while the other one is going out like straight from one to the other and um kind of uh forced myself to take a few months and i did some uh really fun short-term contract projects with different companies but it was a weird exercise for me to actually i had to force myself not to be like with every possibility or every job to just chase it down and be like yeah this is this is what i'll do for the next you know two years or three years or however however long it is and just say you know okay no like do this and then do another thing and um i just really wanted to um get an idea for what's out there and what different teams like the different dynamics between different teams a lot of companies are growing really fast and it was really interesting almost as just like a design anthropology exercise to see like how these teams are growing and all the common out all the like similar challenges that teams are facing that maybe like aren't talking to each other like it was funny to sort of jump from one to the next and see the parallel so one of those contracts that i worked on was with the um, california sunday magazine um, which had been started by some some people i knew and I you know was aware of what they were doing and really excited about what they were doing and then when I said I was going to be doing freelance stuff for a while they asked me to come in for a day or something you know and just talk through and we did that and like it was really fun and like I realized like after that day like I kept thinking about the problems that we had talked about and kept thinking about like oh like you know this is really interesting and we could talk about this and I was like yeah but they're not paying me to think about this anymore um so when I was doing those like series of kind of one month projects I you know worked out a way that we could do one with them and basically just it didn't stop so we we just did a month and then now that's what I'm doing full-time um working on the sort of the digital side of of how we present and and share these like really beautiful stories that um produced for the magazine so it's been really fun the last time we hung out in earnest was i think you were like really grappling with the decision of where to go you had a couple of things that you were yeah, thinking I about think I was doing in the middle of that phase of like forcing myself not to be so anxious about the uncertainty of not having a like a plan um to just jump into whatever was right in front of me and like that was really hard for me but i think i was in that kind of in that state then of like i don't know like i want to do this this or that you know figuring out like what was important to me uh, about you know the next stage of of job or career like i'm going to devote a lot of time and energy to this and um actually having a chance to think about it and evaluate you know what are the characteristics of a job that's you know motivating and interesting to me what are the like 
basic characteristics of like a workplace or an environment, like out of all the jobs I want. Um, and that was really hard. Like, I don't think I've ever really done that. It's just sort of like, well, this is where I ended up and this is what it's like. So I hate this and I love this and whatever. So that was a really weird time, but you know, hopefully. It sounds like you worked at some cool places. Like we heard you were hanging out with Pulsali over at Dropbox. Yeah. That was really fun to go back and like see like how far he's gone in that company and like when he even when he started at dropbox the design team was a lot smaller and like now he's a you know leading a team and Mm -hmm. and and really um influencing the the design culture at that company and that was really fun to get to go in and and see what they're up to were you able to define uh criteria like here's a list of the exact things that i want yeah i'm just always curious to see how people like evaluate different opportunities and like because there's obviously going to be trade-offs right yeah actually um i have to credit my wife, Laura, for this, because sometimes she makes me do things that I'm really uh, grumpy about, um, but I am really appreciative of them afterwards, like leaving the house. Um, (laughs) Why would you do that? Yeah, it's ridiculous. (laughs) It sounds terrible. Apparently some people like it. Um, But she sort of asked me these questions and sort of made, like we did this exercise and and she made me do this exercise and I was super rude and grumpy about it. Like, I don't want to do this. This is a waste of time. And then it really crystallized this stuff for me. And she basically said, okay, write down all the jobs that you've ever had, you know, in chronological order, starting from mowing lawns um, and suburban 110 degree heat in Kansas um, and write a, write down like a limited number, but write down the the things that you liked about that job and then write down the opposite of the things that you didn't like about that job. So if you didn't like something like, you know, you were in a really um, negative work environment or something, then just write down the opposite of that, you know, like positive, you know, attitude from among coworkers or, you know, like something like that, mm-hmm. just write down and you end up with this huge list of positive characteristics, um, that you personally appreciate about like jobs. Uh, you know, it can be like as basic as like, I like having food, <laughs> you know, like it can be like really basic practical stuff, but there's also things like creative freedom and, and even just the exercise of thinking about like, Oh, I liked that job. Or I liked parts of that job. What is it? What is the characteristic that made like repeatedly made me like that? So that was really valuable. And then like, by the end of that, you have this huge list and you said, okay, now pick 20, like go through the whole list. And the weird thing is like, there were a ton of duplicates that I didn't like when I wrote them down, think like, oh, this is the same thing. But I basically wrote down the same thing, you know, five or six times with different words, you know, for different jobs. And so you start to realize, oh, that's a common theme. Like that's something that I really must care about. Like in terms of that helps me feel engaged and motivated or, or what are happy in, in a job. So like narrow it down to the things that you think are the most important, um, after you remove all the duplicates and like, there you have it, like there's your template. Not that you can go out and say, okay, now am I going to find a job that has like all these 20 characteristics? It's like trying to date, you know, with a like list of all your ideal, you know, here's my type. The world doesn't work that way, but it was really instructive for me to like, 
actually be able to understand and name and identify like, oh, this is something that's important to me and this is something that is less important to me. If I had to choose between these trade-offs, now I have a way of understanding like what's more or less important to me. I'm going to be miserable if I like go into an environment that has none of these things and all of these things. And no matter how much they pay me or how much other like exciting enticement is making me think about that, maybe I need to think hard about whether or not that's going to be a like positive environment for me. So, well, what's interesting for me is that now knowing that you went through that exercise is that you ended up somewhere that feels very, very different than a Facebook and RDO and Apple. Yeah. I must've been getting it wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Like it, if like this, this is the pulling out all the good bits of, of yeah, no, I mean, that's, I think incidental, um, because like those places like Facebook and RDO and Apple and all those places that maybe there are things about those places that I wouldn't choose now, but it doesn't mean that I wouldn't like go back given at that time and do it all over again. Like I really value those experiences and that's how I got that to that list. You know, they're all extracted from those experiences in those places. There wasn't a single one of those that was like all goods or all bads, you know, everything is a mix and it looks different from the outside. But yeah, I had like templates like that of like very naive ways of thinking about it. Like, oh, well, I worked at Apple and this was frustrating. So I must not be able to work at a big company, you know, like I must not be able to handle that environment. And I think that can be really limiting when all you have is that very surface level, like grouping to say, well, I'll never be able to be successful in this kind of environment. And the longer your career goes on, I feel like the more of those things like start to add up and then like you have this very particular environment that you feel like you can be effective in. It was actually kind of freeing to think about as long as I can find a way to like combine enough of these things, I could work anywhere. You know, I could be motivated and excited about working anywhere. And I think that more than any particular characteristic was what gave me the confidence to choose something that was farther afield from what I was used to. So I was able to take more risk in terms of choosing something that didn't fit the template of just what I had been doing before. Yeah, you told me when we had breakfast that one time, but just the way that you talked about, I can't even remember what the other opportunity was, but you had two you were trying to choose between and just like, I could, you know, I just could hear it in your voice. It's just the way you talked about the magazine was just like, like you don't really get excited about a lot of things, but you were like animated and using hand gestures and you were really excited voice. (laughs) Yeah. I I told you that when we left, it was like, you got to go do this, man. Like you're clearly obviously more excited about like just even the way you describe it. Um, So it's pretty cool to, to have seen you make a decision that kind of bucks a trend uh, in a way. Did you tell him that at the time? Yeah. I told him something like that. Uh, it was probably in like five words and we just sort of looked into each other's Broke eyes. Yeah. Well, it sounds like the last project you told us about was a card game for, I believe, mobile platforms. Was that the plan? Sure. I had not built like that. it yet. So. But you, you had been doing like paper prototyping. Mm-hmm. It sounded like you were doing a lot of digital products that are rooted in the real world. Do you think that's like a, a thing for you or? Maybe. Um, I think the thing... Like the connection that I made um, initially with 
with the magazine and one of the hooks that got me so excited about it beyond just like it's great like they've done a great job like it's it's a it's a beautiful magazine and it's it's great stories and everything um is i worked for you know the last 10 years on digital products but also on platforms like software platforms that enable like large hopefully large audiences of users to do something to play music to share photos like whatever it is and that was really fun and interesting but something that i was reconnecting with was um like my personal connection to the products that were that that i'm building or that the output of what i'm building and one of the things that i was looking for a way to do was have a closer connection to the user basically like the audience of whatever I'm building and all I know how to do is you know design software interfaces basically at that that point I can't like go be a carpenter or something it's too late for that I think you specifically said that phrase last time you were on the show <laughs> all right well this is just a repeat so just, like are you still tired all together apps yeah <laughs> I'm still tired of looking at apps but what I was excited about with the magazine was being a lot of what I do is it now is sort of building tools and putting the pieces together to enable other people to do something that I'm not capable of. I couldn't write a lot of these stories. I couldn't take these photos. Like I couldn't, you know, communicate, you know, these stories to the world. But being able to put my energy into um, amplifying those stories and giving them an audience mm-hmm. and 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 helping like other people connect with those stories it's just easier for me to like look at that and understand yeah that's something that i want more of in the world i want more of these stories i want them to be amplified and sometimes with those large platforms and products it's not that that isn't true it's just that it's harder to get your head around it you know, it's bigger and it's more complicated. And there's a lot of grunt work. Like if you think about like the shell of RDO, like there was just so much, so many pages, so many sections, so many features that you just kind of had to make Mm -hmm. for everyone Mm -hmm. that you couldn't, you know, this is what we tried to do with home eventually is like, how do you cut through that? All of that, all that stuff that you have to build for everyone so that you can start having like more, interesting conversations or just stories that resonate with a smaller, smaller number of people. Here's something that's special. And like we built something to share it with you. Um, and that feedback loop of, of being able to enable storytelling or like story is just something that I get really excited about personally. It's Mm -hmm. what I, it's something that I love about, you know, video games and books and, and movies and everything else. And I'm not, I didn't, choose a path that led me to a place where I'm a filmmaker or uh, an artist or a writer. Um, but I wanted to find a way to take what I know and, and, and what I'm good at um, and put that towards you more better stories tree. Um, in the world, <laughs> you know, like whatever I'm putting my energy into, like on a daily basis, can I say, I want more of this in the world or I want, whatever this is that I'm putting my energy to it, I want this to be amplified. I want more people to experience and more people to see it. And, you know, with the the stories that we publish in the magazine, it's like unequivocally, yes, you know, like uh, these are great. Like I, 
and just stories in, in general. Like I think that's such a you know central important thing. I don't have to feel ambivalent about um, listening to Wilson tell the story. Do you like draw any comparisons to your transition from audio to this thing that you Adobe? can't tell us about? Like we don't know what you're working on, but just this whole process of like because you were audio for a while, and like I imagine that transition was equally difficult, right? Um, sure. We talked a little bit about it in the last time, but. Do you, do you equate to this at all? I think it illustrates that Wilson is just a lot more thoughtful than I am <laughs> in pretty much yeah. every regard. Yeah. And most of us. Yeah, um, most everyone. No, I don't, I, you know, I think, I think it's different, right? Because I was there for five, almost five years in total, and that's a long time. And there's a part of RDO that was RDO when Wilson was there and it was an entirely different RDO on the day that I left. It was a different RDO, you know, like you pick, you could like pick a point on the calendar and it was, it felt like a different company because we were there or you were there much earlier than I was, but there were a few that nobody saw. Like there were a few like (laughs) dramatic changes while the label deals were getting made that never got released. Two years or something like that. Oh Yeah. Think about how many, how much time that is to second guess every decision that you made about a product that doesn't even exist. Yet. And, and and what's funniest about that is like when I got involved was at the tail end of that like two year process or That's pretty much crazy. And it, you would have thought like coming out of that that there would have been this grand plan. This like we tried seventy five hundred things and we know that this is the one. It really felt like there was still just a lot of like I don't know. Like <laughs> we'll just try this. When I started I like when Malta sat down like in a hotel lobby and explained it to me, what he explained to me was an unlimited download service. Like it was a Spotify didn't exist yet. Like none of this was out there and it's like what will work and what would people pay for? Like, what can you deliver? And it was like, okay, we'll give you this many MP3s a month to download um, for a subscription. It's like, we worked with that assumption for a really long time. And I remember it was late, relatively late in that process for such a fundamental thing that to um, say, no, we're going to like mobile was really the thing that made it possible for us to turn that around and think, Oh, well, people might actually pay for a streaming service where they don't actually have the mp3 files because of phones and that was the the crack or the window in that let us let us figure out okay you could do that on the desktop and it was still a long time it still is now with apple music going out like people still are pretty uncomfortable and rightly so about having their local file storage of of music files be disrupted but speaking of which have you guys played with apple music very much Oh, we're going to talk about that now? It's been a very um, contentious topic in, in the design industry in particular. Thoughts from people who worked on streaming music products? You want to go first? Yeah, I, sadly, I haven't even used it. I don't know. Like, There's a reason for that though, right? No, there's no, there's no logical reason other than, like, I think by the time I left RDO, I literally couldn't think about music streaming anymore. Like, I just couldn't, I can't, I just, like, I need some distance from, like, studying the onboarding and, like, I, I just couldn't, I could, I literally couldn't use Apple Music, like, as a consumer at this point, and I just need, like... Well, neither can anyone else, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> uh, teed that up for you. Boom. Nice. You know they have Pusha T, though, right? I don't know who that is. What? <laughs> 
Gotcha. Uh, I'm going so does Ardia. Yeah. yeah. I did sign up for the trial because I've been gone from Ardia longer. You got so the distance. The, yeah, the guilt curve has, <laughs> has gone down how, to how where I can actually been subscribe to it. Using Ardio now. Look like now I'm just an, an entitled complainy user just like everyone else. Okay. You are, haven't you built Hold on. This yet? Hold on. How long can it take? Wilson, you're an entitled complaining user like <laughs> the day, day yeah, yeah. <laughs> while you were still working there. They just called it uh, designer. <laughs> Creative direction. <laughs> head of design. Uh, no, it's... Director of digital design. Come on. There you go. Uh, just keep adding I, words to my titles. <laughs> It's so it's hard. For, hard for me to use anything like like that. It's like it's like the Katamari Damachi of names. <laughs> okay, <laughs> just pick up a word every time, every job. <laughs> yeah. Well, what do you listen to music on? Uh, I listen on audio. Okay, still audio. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I did it. take a the, like I tried using Apple Music as my main player for a while, and um, I did this while we worked at RDO. Like I used Spotify for a, a few months, and at the time there were Mog was another one that like oh yeah got yeah. bought by Beats, and mm-hmm. which got bought by Apple. So basically, you could say <laughs> is the seed of Apple Music, but I'm sure none of that code is still there. The but, Apple seed. Um, I used it, and like. I think a lot of the problems that people are, you know, complaining about or like making a big deal about with something like Apple Music seem very familiar to me. Like a lot of them are the unsolvable, like if not unsolvable, as yet unsolved problems of streaming music in general. Um, Spotify has them, <laughs> RDO has them. Like what? They're just amplified um, because Apple is sort Apple. of almost forcing it on. Um, you know, hundreds of millions of iTunes users. Um, and that's probably the reason why they're going to be successful because um, they have that built-in base and they have a long way to go before they erode <laughs> that that base or alienate that base. So they have some time to figure it out. But um, there's nothing I saw like that people were jumping on iTunes for this crazy complicated onboarding process or how does it relate to iTunes? It's so, conf- you know, the iTunes download store, like it's so confusing. Like we committed all of those errors just on a much smaller stage they're just music is so confusing like if you could see the the metadata that comes from like with the stuff from the labels it's not like clean id3 tags on your you know download it's just like this huge mess of this giant data set of millions and millions of songs that are all just messed up and apple has the best chance of anybody to just pour armies of interns onto that and (laughs) and clean it up and fix it for everybody for once and for all so you know good on them for for trying they probably have more interns working on apple music than rdo has actual employees that's true working yeah. on rdo well that was the thing from the beginning in rdo everybody wanted genre browsing and nobody realizes that like when you browse genres on itunes a human employee at apple computer hand selected every single one of those genres for every single track that you're browsing and when you browse genres, you have access to a, like a subset of, you know, all the music that exists, you know, in the possible download library, because it's only the ones that, that people have tagged. And for a small, like at the time, you know, 50 person startup 
to say this is going to be something that we're going to decide to like commit to do was just like great we're going to hire 50 more people to you know do this all by hand right and and just don't even think about like what happens like in the bob dylan situation where you span genres or yeah, like all sure of the corner like cases really everything crazy shit for that like chiptune reggae jam band something or other like yeah, i don't know that, that's not the the real like what was it all music and like um even last fm had all these like genre tags and all these things like that really doesn't like who actually listens to music that way like would that mm. help you to have that data like probably not like when when you're going to the itunes store or you're going to our, it's at the record store level i need like 10 or 15 like areas that i can mm you know, say, I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want that. I'm just going to spend my time over here and I'm going to flip through everything over here. Um, and doing that with literally all the music in the world is ultimately like a self-defeating exercise. Like you're just, you're limiting yourself to what, what was in the record store, you know, in 1995, because that's all that fits in those clean, nice buckets and everything else is just music and it's weird and it's changing and it's changing all the time and one of the things that we decided early on at Ardio that probably was you know maybe we jumped the gun on a little bit was genres and hierarchical classification of of music is on its way out as a meaningful way for people to like discover and engage with music so we're just not going to spend any time on it because it's a huge undertaking and we're going to try to let discover any music is through things that your friends like or things that people you know are listening to or things that you know cool people that <laughs> whose opinion you trust um uh recommend or are listening to so that was where we started and that's still the thing that i miss you know just in terms of streaming and catalog and access like everybody's caught up you know like there was a a, a battle to be fought and it's over um on a lot of that kind of stuff i could sit down and listen to the music that i want to listen to on spotify apple music wherever um but the thing that i miss when i stop using audio for some period of time is like seeing what other people i actually know and sort of care about what they they think are listening to um and yeah i would be hard to find find music to listen to without that Having been using Apple Music for the last, whatever, since they released it, since day one, the main reason has been native support. Siri integrates with it. Mm-hmm. It's it's built into everything. Had that not been the case, I'm not sure I would have switched from audio to that. I've I've just been using it because it's just easier for me. Yeah, and it's things like that and the fact that they already have hundreds of millions of people's credit cards. It's built in. Um, that's gonna, you know, mean that it's successful for them. It's not gonna, you know, come down to, we would like to think as people who spend a lot of time agonizing over these details, even at the product level, um, that that is what's gonna (laughs) make, make the decision. But ultimately there are often much bigger levers, much bigger factors. Right. It's not an arms race of features or anything like that. It's the fact that they can actually charge $10 a month for their service and make all $10. Like, it could almost be that simple. The, the key ideology difference to me, it seems to be that on Apple Music, Apple decides what you should listen to through the For You section. They, they have these curated playlists and audio lets your friends choose. 
Because that most was actually of the, time, the thing that was the most surprising to me was that was okay. Like we never could have done it that way at RDO because it's the same thing. It's all mm-hmm. handmade, thousands upon thousands of handmade playlists in all different combinations of genres and years and all the different things. And it turns out that if you just brute force it that way, and it, maybe this is an accident, but when I signed up and started using it, w- most of what they showed me was uh, hit songs from genres that I said that I liked in the years that I was in high school and college. I mean, if you're just going to brute force it, that's a pretty good pretty way good guess. Yeah. yeah, to guess what kind of music I'll listen to. And I'm not going to complain when, you know, you give me, you know, indie anthems from 1997 or right. something Ultimate like Facebook. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's great. But, um, it'll be interesting to see if it goes anywhere from there. Mm-hmm. Like the thing that was really amazing about RDO was the moment when we sort of got that engine working like when we were following Mm -hmm. enough people and we had it in sort of a closed beta where there were enough people in the system and we had enough music that it actually kind of worked to realize like i'm never gonna run out of things to listen to like and it was crazy because you would just constantly be discovering things at the edges of what you were aware of or what you would have found out otherwise and things that you might not like all of it, but it was very fun and satisfying to be, be exposed to things outside of those like clear cut, you know, these are my jams, you know, <laughs> this is what I'm, I'm going to listen to. One of the weirder kind of schadenfreude like sources of joy from audio though was discovering like how bad your friend's taste was in music. <laughs> like it's just so bizarre. Like, wait, I hang out with this person and they <laughs> listen to that. And like, I unfollowed Placelli before we left. <laughs> the social part of it is a little anxious to me, I guess. I, I use Spotify and like... How do you feel about social networks, Brian? Hmm, interesting. I don't share anything from third-party apps because I figure there's too much accidental stuff that could go on. We're like guilty pleasure kind of things like listening to this music and stuff where I'm like, yeah, I'll listen to that in my own time, but I don't necessarily need to broadcast this out that I'm listen to this that's interesting i i grew up in the midwest which is like the fertile crescent of like applying we call it midwestern guilt right you wisconsin uh missouri missouri uh and for someone who grew up in just like a shame culture which is just like constantly (laughs) be embarrassed about like what you're like into or not into or like uh put on a front about like being something that you're actually not like I somehow managed to escape. I literally can't well, even understand. You. I think. Well, no, it's just the music. Like it's hmm. literally just the music. It totally like corrupted my entire personality and all and in a lot of other ways. But in music, like I can't understand. I literally can't understand. I can't empathize with that feeling of like, why would you ever be ashamed of like anything that you listen to? That's like interesting. That's but like th- one of the hardest things that was. That, that sort of plagued me at RDO is like, I just can't, I like, I can empathize with a lot, but I can't empathize with that feeling. I wonder. It I was know. a big choice. I mean, it was an intentional choice early on to not let people do. I mean, obviously that's the first thing that people ask for is like, how do I delete my history or how do I go into private mode? And there are <laughs> like, we eventually added ways there are sort of like private um, modes, but it's, I listened to TikTok by Kesha 3,000 times. <laughs> but the, the problem with that is like Facebook experiences this a lot where if you actually give people the opportunity to restrict the, the reach of things, you, you break something mm. about the network effect. 
and the biggest thing that we had, you know, when we only had, you know, thousands of users just coming out of beta and RDO was the network effect of being able to see that stuff. And we weren't building it based on the premise that you were going to write a review or that you were going to um, give a five-star rating um, or that you were going to do any work at all to sort of like publish your recommendations of music. Like the truth of it was going to be what you actually listened to. And that was like, you couldn't lie. And yeah. that was always going to be available. You couldn't get better metadata than okay, yeah, a play. Yeah, exactly. We had all kinds of ways that you could, you know, early on that you could build like ratings or thumbs up or all that kind of stuff. And eventually a lot of stuff works in as you're trying to fine tune it. But the beginning, it was just like, you can't lie about what you listen to. And that was the biggest signal that we had was like, did you play this song? And, and did you? I think like broadly that, I don't know, it, I feel almost a little bit, um, I don't think embarrassed is the right word, but like I, I, I get what you're saying. Like it feels weird to be able to recognize within yourself that you're like censoring a little part, but I feel like that same emotion happens across a large part of the internet, like Twitter, Facebook, anytime you're wanting to share something like these companies want you to share your authentic self, but the people on there just generally oh, it's, it's like don't real. want to. Like right? I don't discount sure. it at all. Yeah, it was yeah. just, we the only reason we got away with it for so long was because ultimately it was just music. Like yeah. we, it wasn't technically, you know, <laughs> like private information. We could sort of, you know, Makes hand sense. wave around it. But if you replace music that you listen to with something, you know, like Facebook has to deal with, like real personal, you know, kind of stuff, then it becomes much more complicated and it's not so easy to, to wave away. We did find someone who had made a private playlist uh, for uh, someone who... Man, I probably shouldn't say this, but uh, made a private playlist, which, as you know, working at RDO, private playlists. I'm doing air quotes on private yeah, because it just you means can, it's not published. To it's the not feed. published, but you can still totally find it. Well, the person who made this playlist for someone who wasn't their wife. Oh, man. Uh, totally got outed. Got and, own, an Ashley Madison hack of one. For, <laughs> <laughs> Through their music playlist? So yeah. I totally get it. I mean, like, all that to say that I can't empathize with you doesn't mean that you're not the majority. You probably are. Yeah. Uh, it's just, I think I think it's interesting how defensive people get about what they listen to. And I, th- I tend to think it's a beautiful thing that I would listen to Ace of Bass and then Toadies and then Meek Mill and then maybe a little bit of Garth Brooks. I'm just saying. (laughs) Like, I think that there's something interesting and beautiful about that um, that is so far beyond being embarrassed about that it's like something to even be proud about. But Garth uh, Brooks is some strong country, though. Some strong country. Meek Mill, on the other hand. Stance on the Meek Mill Drake beef. We can't devote any more podcast airtime <laughs> to this. Drake. Yeah. Drake. <laughs> I was waiting for Correct. it. Drizzy it's, all it's day. the right answer. He okay. started from the bottom. I mean, what else do you need to know? Right, Wilson? Sure. Do you even know what Wilson we're talking about right now? Vaguely. <laughs> no one knew who Meek Mill was for the most part, I think. Like, I think that was the Mission best marketing plan he could have gotten. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that I mean, and dating I'm, Nicki Minaj. I'm like, do you think that they label? Do you think they pre-orchestrated it? <laughs> I'm convinced that they are. Yeah, 100. percent What can you say? This sucks. Well, yeah. Trump is running as a spoiler for Hillary, right? That's that's that, the, that's the other conspiracy. The conspiracy theory. theory. Same deal. Look at you dropping the pop culture knowledge. I read Twitter just like everybody <laughs> else. Can't avoid it. Can't avoid Twitter. 
Apparently not. How do you balance work life and Twitter? This is a question we get constantly. Like, I don't. How are you on ever? Twitter all day? <laughs> You're on Twitter more than most people I know. Me? Yeah. Interesting. Bryn. That's Bryn. I my Twitter analytics would argue otherwise, but all right. Fight. <laughs> Deathmatch. I uh, very intentionally when I went to Facebook, like didn't install any, like didn't transfer bookmarks, didn't transfer apps. I did install Tweetbot, but I try and keep it closed at work and like try and make it like a work Whoa. computer. The problem with working at Facebook is that you're on Facebook to use, all the time. To work at Facebook, you have to use Facebook and all your work communication and everything like routes through Facebook. And I cannot count the number of times that I like sat at my desk, pulled up, like got a notification for a work message or needed to go check a group thread and did the same thing that everyone does when they pull up Facebook, which is like you go through this loop and you get caught in like three different like, distractions and then you're just sitting there looking at the news feed like, what did I come here for? what was I supposed to do? Mm-hmm. And like, that was your job. It wasn't just like, Oh, I came to like read this message from a friend. It was like, no, my boss sent me a, Mark Zuckerberg sent me a message. And then I like, Zuck lo- me. yeah, lost track of it. Uh, Blame Zuck for it. That's fine. It usually works pretty well. Try that Brian. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Pro sure. tip. I'm sure he'd appreciate it. Can we go back to the, this is a, a weird topic, but the Ashley Madison thing, because <laughs> I read, cool. <laughs> we don't have to talk about the, the nature of it, but, uh, the higher level, like, can a hack be justified? I thought it was like an interesting, interesting topic going around where like, maybe you disagree with the morals of the users or the morality of the product, but does that mean you can still condone a hack and a release of people's information that they thought was private? So I heard this first described as the first like real large scale hack because like no matter what happens the data inside that is like condemning for a lot of people like the target hack for example it revealed some credit card information but the worst it could really tell people is that people shopped at target this Which, is sony email hack was, was that, that, that was pretty for, hilarious for a small group of people well that's that, amazing that's the thing i mean that's what you're really asking it's not about the hacks it's like we are extraordinarily selective with mm. outrage or celebration like it just depends on whether you like identify with the aggressor or the victim. Ah. And that is like pretty tenuous ground. I think like the, the answer to any one of those things is like, you know, memes that get circulated, images get circulated are a lot about like somebody who stood up against somebody else, you know, or like put them in their place or like publicly shamed them. And you see this like a political sides all the time like drake and meek man yeah exactly it's like no it's not justified it's just as you know invasive and like you know rude or inappropriate or whatever it is independent of whether you like share political views or like affinity with one side or the other it's just we get outraged if we get charged up if we identify with the victim and we get excited and feel vindicated if we identify with the aggressor and i think the real answer is always like you know just be nice to people shh that's a secret dude we can't release that but it's hard like we all like all do that that's what i was talking about um I gave a talk for Creative Mornings recently mm. about like sort of copying and, and appropriation. And that was something that I was had been thinking about a lot like in our community uh, as designers. Like it was a period, maybe it was more pronounced a few years ago, but like the pile-ons when somebody would like be copied or ripped off or something. I like, still see a lot of that, especially yeah. on Twitter. And that's fine. Like it's 
sort of policing uh, unwanted behavior in a community, but it's like the vehemence and like how we just rush to that to like really shout shout people down um, for doing that. When I think to some degree we all like that's how we, we've all done stuff like that. You know, when you're learning and you're you're trying things out or whatever it is, and like some things are over the line and some things are forgivable and some things are in public. <laughs> Uh, in front of a lot of people and some things are private and I think you know whether or not like any individual case is appropriate or not I think it's always better to like approach those situations with a little bit of empathy and and humanity like rather than just like as a group just mobbing on to people and and shutting them down the first three years of my career I, there was no twitter or anything like that but I was just Thank constantly God. bracing for like the unknown email that was going to come to me that was going to be like, you stole my work. Because it was like... That's, I was waiting for you to send me that email. <laughs> <laughs> Still uh, hasn't come. But that's the thing, right? Like, that's how we learn. Like, that's that's all I knew in the beginning. That's all I, that's how I developed taste. And like, that's... I thank God that there was like not such a public yeah. forum for that back then. Because it's like learning to play music. It's like, first I learned to play the instrument then i learned to play songs that i like right. and then like i try to make songs that sound just like the songs that i right. like and, and then like, you find your voice and then you find your find your voice and expecting people to just especially people entering like young people entering a creative profession or not young at all like it's unreasonable to expect people to make that leap just wholesale and like come in already knowing everything that i know and i think it's you know something we can check our privilege as uh, <laughs> you know designers who have been working through this you know for a lot longer mm-hmm. um to be more welcoming um to you know people to plagiarizers n- yeah to plagiarizers <laughs> so to <laughs> people who are you know new to yeah. to you know the our, our industry well i have a story of when i did that when i was 16 i was learning photoshop and web Couple design weeks ago. yeah two weeks ago Some did old- one of us like mob you no 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 okay uh, I was writing Photoshop tutorials to learn Photoshop and learn web design. And one of the tutorials I published was how to recreate pixel for pixel psdtuts.com in Photoshop. And at the time I owned webdesigntuts.com <laughs> and I published the post on webdesigntuts.com. And I very promptly got an email from one of the founders and they were like, yeah, you can't do this. <laughs> you can't release a pixel for pixel tutorial of how to I mean, it was in Photoshop, but it wasn't. But that was like my first taste of that, right? I'm like, oh shit, that would piss me off too. If, but you if see those that. things all the time. Like even we used to joke when when RDO was starting to be visible, like you'd see, you know, the unsolicited it's like, oh, we've made it. People are doing unsolicited redesigns <laughs> of our product. Yeah. Um and it's like, great, we don't have to do this anymore. We can just check dribble and see if there's any <laughs> new I hope they posted a PSD attachment. But it's like, yeah, that's I, that was such a good learning experience for me, not only in the creation of the tutorial, because then you're like you have to think through, oh, why why is yeah. there this amount of space between these elements? And you go through that sort of exercise. The biggest thing that I used to or still probably you know, tell people who are starting out or like asking for tips or, or like how do I learn is like Find something that you really like, that you think is good, and take it apart until you understand why it's good. Like, mm-hmm. don't 
try to make it, you know, but like there's a big difference. And I think that's a hard gap to close in the beginning between having taste to identify like this is good. I think this is an example of good design. I think this is an example of bad design and having a like deep, varied understanding of what all the elements are that make that true or not. I think there's something really valuable in like learning how to build something by recreating something you really like. That's like coding as well, right? Like you're going to learn to code most efficiently by seeing how yeah, other people engineering culture things. has incorporated this like copying as a norm a lot more gracefully than than design. Um, it's like how much of software development is copy and paste, you know, like most <laughs> it's true. And, and even beyond that, with things like libraries and, you know, writing code for other people and reusable things. And I think we as designers sometimes perpetuate conveniently the mythology of design as a black art in protection of our own insecurity about, you know, if somebody's going to find out that there's really not that much to it. And, you know, if they think that I'm a wizard and like no one else can do what I do and I need my perfect creative space in order to pull (laughs) magic from the the universe, then I'll be safe. But um, that isn't true. Uh, You even see this in companies, like companies tend to be much more protective of design assets than code assets there's no such there's not like a lot of open source design (laughs) libraries um you know google is is an interesting um recent exception to that but they have like there's a very clear reason you know business reason why that's important to them um because it's tools for their third-party developers to you know make their core core Mm -hmm. product better but i'd love to see more of that yeah more design libraries that'd be cool there's like you are just sharing UI. things. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, I feel weird. Here's what I did. Here's so. how I made it. Here's how messy it is. And I trust the world not to go do something uh, shitty with it, like uh, write a tutorial on how to recreate it <laughs> pixel for pixel, but um, or go try to make money off of it, or mm-hmm. you know, jump from it. But you know, somebody will, and then it'll ruin it for everybody, and nobody will do that anymore. Yeah. Well, man, I was going so positively there for a second that you totally, <laughs> you totally just Debbie Downered that because I was going to say I'm sitting over here biting my tongue because I can't. Like, there's a lot in what we just talked about that you know I'm working on at Adobe. So, so like can you a give lot examples? of no, I can't. Uh, but like when Wilson I think, stole your work, <laughs> oh Wait, no, no, no! I had to hire him at Ardio was because I like ran out of Ryan's designs to copy. So we had to hire him to make some more. (laughs) You ran out of my patterns, like my, uh, my one or two (laughs) go to, uh, rounded corner patterns at the time. Then we realized that you didn't have any more ideas. So I feel like you've always positioned yourself in such a way that, uh, it's always me who would be in the position to copy you, uh, sort of strategically, uh, you've done this time and time again everything i do is a copy originality is such a strange aspect or value of design for me because it just doesn't like you don't register or empathize with people who are embarrassed of music it just the way my brain works i don't really register or empathize with the idea that originality as a value just in pursuit of itself worthwhile on its own like yeah it's nice to feel like you know you Put something new into the world and that didn't exist before it was there but to me that's so secondary to like i made something useful or beautiful or you know like if there's a, a solution available and it works and i can use that as one building block 
uh, with many other things and it's appropriate, you know, to use it that way, then I'm stoked. Like I'm so excited to have a piece of a problem solved, you know, for me, um, or just like, so that I can move on to the next, you know, hundred yeah. problems. Do you remember, do you remember us talking about this? Like no, early on? I don't on? remember any conversation like, we've ever had. I it's feel a like good <laughs> thing this is recorded because otherwise I would forget it. I'm going to ask you next time, uh, if you remember this conversation, I feel like this is one reason I, I felt, you know, sort of an instant, uh, sort of connection to you just on a, like a professional level is that I remember having this conversation. I think like when we were walking the streets of South by Southwest, the first, like one of the first times I ever met you was like at that time, um, there was a lot of pressure to be original in everything that you did because the web was like trying to figure out its own voice, right? It had, it had gone through its own cycle of like copying everything print did and then like trying to figure out like, okay, we have these, we have these principles, we have these executions, these patterns that exist for putting ink on paper uh, is, is the, is the analogy, the pixel on the screen for that? And like just coming up with, you know, like just trying everything that we did for posters on a website or just trying, you know, all these things that we'd already done before. And in those days too, there was a lot of like weird scientist flash type people who were building crazy experiments that like no one had ever seen before and flash intros and animations and such. And I was just so, I, I remember feeling so externally pressured to come up with something original. And all I ever wanted to do was take like something someone else had done and just make it a little bit better. Like that's all I ever wanted to do. And I remember talking to you about some, I don't remember what we said, but something along those lines. I think that's why we've always kind of worked well together. We kind of understand what each other are saying because I just don't really have much patience for like art in like my job. Like being an artist, it's the last thing I ever think about in any of the work that I've done in the last like eight years or so. It's just a constant sort of grind of like refine, refine, identify the pattern quicker, you know, remove the steps, you know, get faster, solve the problem in, a, in an interesting way that's uh, not innovative or new, but it's unexpected. And I think there's a difference there, but I just have no patience for like art in in what i do uh, in like designing interfaces or yeah. you know like doing the kind of basic web work i've often felt like that's like a big blind spot for me or a, a weakness is that i just don't think like an artist and i don't like uh go over the top enough you know like maybe there's something over on the other side of that like unreasonable effort you know that i'm always missing out <laughs> on um, but you know, like we all have our blind spots and we all have things we're good at. And I, I, I get really excited when I have a chance to work with people like that, but sure. I don't understand it at all. It's like, okay, can I take what you did and like, you know, can we make the whole thing better because of, can our, we solve a problem here? Solve a problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's why we, we speak the same language. We kind of lost it, but you said like this, the start of this conversation reminded you of what you're doing at Adobe. And I know you can't share the specifics, but like what part of that resonated? We kind of lost that. It, it's a lot of what, what Wilson mentioned in, you know, sort of the difference between engineering culture and design culture is this, this really big elephant in the room, which is like, you can't 
I can't show you what I did. Like, I can't show you how I made it. And it's like, engineering culture has embraced that. Gaming t- culture has embraced that with Twitch and just like, just learning by watching. And I, you know, I've joked on this very podcast about it before, like how I would learn to play video games by watching Wilson play them. And uh, it's baffling to me that designers haven't sort of embraced that. Um, with that same sort of acceptance. And I think a lot of it is that there's not a really, like you've got the kind of the, the brute force method of like, I've got this PSD or I've got this layered file, these series of files that I could publish or something. I, I don't know why I would do that, but like there's not really been in the tools and in sort of the fabric of what we do, there's not been a way for us to sort of, you know, collaborate or share creativity in the same way that you could share a line of code with another programmer. You can publish, you can broadcast, you can present, you can do all this stuff. But it's all very performative. Even if I'm going to share a PSD pack, you know, or a sketch file or something for something that I made, it's it's always going to be a, a performance of how I do design. It's not going to be like actual code libraries extracted from and depended on by the software that I'm building. I can't show you the secret sauce of the software that I'm building, but here's all these reusable pieces that are the actual code that I actually use. That seems to be like a huge difference in engineer mind or or designer mind. Code is so abstracted from the person who made it. It's also abstracted from the identity of the product or the the end result, which is understandably very much trickier with design. Like it's very hard to extricate, you know, how I constructed this this design from the thing itself. And mm-hmm. the idea of like, why would I share with you like production ready, you know, design files, assets, if you're not just gonna go build the same thing. It's very hard to just give you something that's insulated from that possibility. Um, so it's very scary and weird. And nobody names their, their layers. Yeah, because they're all layer one copy. <laughs> layer one copy 12. But it feels weird to leave that up. It, it seems like with that mindset, we're leaving it up to Apple and Google to define like the base state that everyone can start from. The only way that you can uh, experience that kind of sharing and collaboration is to go work at a company like that. Like mm-hmm. to go work at a company with a big enough team of designers that has enough stake of influence in the community to say, I want to go see all these, <laughs> these, I want to go inspect like how all these designers get their job done and learn from that. And that was, you know, honestly, the most satisfying thing about working at Apple or, or Facebook was just like going over and harassing other amazing designers and like seeing how they worked and picking apart their, their files. And that was, you know, probably not what either of us were getting paid to be there to do, but that's the only way to do it. So there's got to be a way to that's the confounding thing to me when I think back to sort of the first few years of my career is like, there's a seminal moment in my mind, uh, I think it was about five years into doing work, getting paid to actually do design. I, I didn't go to design school or anything like that. Like the first time I got to sit down and watch like another designer who was better than me do design in real time in Photoshop or whatever, I was blown away my efficiency with the tools like doubled overnight because like i think i learned that you could set the history state to longer than one uh which seriously like the first five years of my uh design career i sat and was terrified to make mistakes because i could only undo one time back now i'm a complete idiot 
and don't know how to use software clearly. <laughs> and then you realize that you can make it nonlinear. Oh so yeah. You can preserve like multiple, you can go down one path and then undo to a certain point and go down another path and Shit. have all of those states. <laughs> right. It blow like it makes your, your Photoshop files like, I didn't know that. Time is a flat a circle. Gigabyte, but yeah, time is a flat <laughs> circle and you're just sitting there drinking Lone Star and <laughs> freaking out. But that's that's crazy to me. I mean, we think about how open and collaborative like our work has become and the the sort of the importance we place on prototyping and getting stuff in front of engineers faster, working with engineers on design problems. All this stuff is is inclusive in nature, but it's like there's still no way and I think it, I think it has a lot to do with what you said about you know it being performative. The notion that I would let someone watch me work is just too much for a lot of people. It's too much for me, and, and because the the hurdle for me to go and do that is like I'd have to what go like set up a Twitch account and like it just feels wrong to me. It feels like I'm perf- like I am performing and like I don't I don't really want to do that. But like if there was a way for me. You, and I'm not saying I'm working on like a an Adobe Twitch. If only app. there is a way. Yeah. Uh, wink, wink. <laughs> but I, th- I, I think you know, just step one there is just like you know, being able to see, like, why do I have to wait for T Han and Lax to recreate everything pixel for pixel that if you're someone else already that, did? If you're still waiting on that, you're gonna be waiting a while. Yeah, sure. Uh, now uh, and like what. He just it, announced that they're doing iOS 9. Oh, are they? He tweeted it. Yeah. What is it? That's not secret. Tian and Lax by Facebook? I hope it's not <laughs> secret. <laughs> but you get you get the point. Like yeah. it's, it's a simple point and I think there's a long way to go there and I think Adobe is in a uniquely interesting position to be able to address some of those opportunities, let me just say. Dude, <laughs> can we get a project Tian? Yes, yeah, so we actually kind of, we started with what Wilson's been, like his journey, um, How's everything been going for you for the last six months? It's good. I think um, I think I, t- I talked to a lot of people, so I didn't have quite the the so- sort of thoughtful ec- thought exercises that Wilson had in sort of picking out the perfect uh, opportunity. But what I did notice was that there were a lot of conversations with people that kind of came back to the central point of that I was just kind of tired of working for underdogs. Like uh, there was just something about like, like, yes, I'm from the Midwest. Yes, I have Midwestern guilt. Yes, I have sort of like a, uh, I love being tormented by the work and just my life in general. And uh, I just couldn't, I couldn't work on another thing that a few people really loved, but not, it didn't quite have like the resources and the the reach of being sort of a market leader. And that was a big, that was a big decision for me was not necessarily like going to a place that could impact a billion people or like whatever. For me, it was like, I, I want to work for a company, even if it's like, um, not the like buzziest thing to do. Uh, a company like Adobe is just been around a long time. And I think one thing, whether it was sports or whether it's Sports is a big one for me. Like I've I've always had this respect and admiration for sustained excellence, and a lot of the way that the sort of professional leagues are set up are to ensure that sustained excellence is nearly impossible. Like so, it's impossible for teams to keep winning and winning and winning and winning. And uh, as a Patriots fan, I think there's something cr- 
crazy admirable about sustained excellence and yeah we can say whatever about uh, them cheating and all that kind of stuff uh lance armstrong you could say the same thing cheating all that kind of stuff but the point being that um i think i think it's it's easier to be the underdog it's easier to like not have any ha- have any skin in the game and just do whatever you want and maybe someone will like it and then that'll like create this snowball of momentum that you can then get to a point to where mostly everyone kind of has maybe heard about what you've done they don't know how to pronounce it but uh maybe they've heard of it um and adobe was like a real opportunity for for me to go and learn new things at a in a new way at a new place and i just kind of craved that it's been good i sounded surprised there but uh i have a lot of respect for that company and what they've done and the way that they've sort of been involved in this industry for decades and sort of ridden through bad times and good times and managed to sort of come out on top somehow and uh i think they've there's a lot of people there that i meet that have been there 10 15 20 25 years there's like a patina to like the work and the kind of like career there that I've ne- I haven't been a part of because I mostly came up from startups. The people, the personalities are just slightly different there and a little bit more genuine, a little bit more grounded, which is something that I really it like. Seems like you've both escaped the, I guess the word you'd use is like the buzzy nature of certainly where we live, but also what's happening on the internet of like the next hot thing or like what's the hot company to work for or what what's the hot kind of product to be working on? I don't know. We're just both contrarians. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, I, the, Disagree I with the contrarians Dis- are the next hot thing. I don't know. Uh, you okay. had to be contrarian to my, <laughs> my positioning you as a contrarian. Anything you want to plug before we go? My wife, Laura Bruno Miner is speaking at the Adobe max conference. And, uh, when Ryan just said, <laughs> <laughs> He's pulling out his phone. He's Googling it. Um, and everyone uh, is obviously, everyone who listens to this podcast are obviously already is a subscriber to the California Sunday Magazine. Mm-hmm. Clearly. Chance, it's built in, right? If by some chance you're not. You are we forming that out. partnership? Yeah, we do. <laughs> if you subscribe, <laughs> you, you subscribe, subscribe to this free podcast. <laughs> we have to deliver <laughs> 12 issues of a, of a magazine. Um, Think no. of the distribution, man. October 3rd through 7th. Great. Brian, anything you want to plug? Uh, no, I, I think last time I was on a plugged audio, so maybe I'll plug it again and say all the people that are disillusioned with their Apple Music account. When, you're maybe, three month trial right <laughs> when your three-month trial <laughs> ends, go back and listen to everyone's embarrassing taste of music. There you go. RDIO.com, not radio. I'm a team player. Hey, lo- nothing but love for RDIO. All right, cool. Thanks for coming Thanks, on, guys. guys. Appreciate it. 55 whole episodes that's pretty nuts we hope you enjoyed listening to ryan and wilson if you did hit us up on twitter we'd love to hear your thoughts chat with you about it we're at design details fm on twitter or of course you can chat with us in person on our slack team to join that and over 300 designers and developers that are already in there just dm your email address to specfm on twitter we'll send you an invite get you in there and we'll chat about all things design and development. It has been really, really awesome seeing that. Don't miss out on that. Just DM us your email address. 
Before we go, we have two awesome sponsors that we want to thank for making this show possible. First sponsor, once again, Dropbox. Thank you so much for syncing all of our files and making everything available to our producer and Brian for doing show notes and me for recording. Every time I want them, they're in sync. It's pretty great. You've saved my ass with version history. That's been pretty cool. Previous versions is something that should be built into file systems, but they don't do it. And you took care of it for me. So thank you for that. And thank you for sponsoring the show and supporting the design community because that's pretty dope. Listeners, go to dropbox.com. Check it out. It's really good. That was heartfelt, sincere, emotional. Bryn is crying right now. But before I let those tears fall, we do have one more sponsor to thank. Hired.com helps software engineers and designers get job offers. It's like a reverse job board. You apply to Hired and then jobs apply to you. You can get full-time and contract opportunities. You can decline and accept these jobs in private without talking to the companies. Every company in there is pre-screened and they're around the world in all the major tech hubs. It is free. There are no obligations. And if you go to Hired.com slash design details, that's our special link. Tells them that we sent you. And if you get a job on Hired after you use that link, they'll give you $4,000 as a bonus. So go get a job. Go get $4,000 at Hired.com slash design details. And we'll see you on Monday with Adam Morse, a.k.a. Can you say it with your mouth closed? Mm. Mm.